Excuse me. That was for you, Greg. This is Billy Mitchell, video game player of the century, and you're a brave soul listening to Pie Factory Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome once again to another episode of the Pie Factory Podcast, or the PFP. We're not going to do that joke again, uh, because we never repeat jokes. You know me. So, once again, from the insanely hot second floor recording studio that doesn't have air conditioning whatsoever in Morris, Illinois. This is Jimmy G. Isn't that some kind of a like FCC violation of having a recording studio that doesn't have uh, air conditioning? The people at uh, Pie Factory Incorporated have been being real cheap bastards lately, though. Well, so, that, I, mean, I don't you, think you know Morris is technically recognized as part of this country, so maybe federal law doesn't true. apply. We're technically not in Illinois. Well, we are, but we're not. Ah, ah this is not my dad's root beer burpee shine. Mm, so you've got a sponsor this week, huh? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were sponsored by the uh, gas emitted by not your dad's root beer. I'm sure we'll be hearing plenty of it this evening. Summer's Eve uh, dropped me as a sponsor because uh, they didn't like uh, having a bigger douche than they have, uh, you know, hmm. one-upping them, so they they dropped me. Oh, so. I see what you did, one-up, and because, you know, we talk about arcade games. Uh. Uh, see what he did there, folks. So how have you been, Sean? Well, I've been Sean. You have been Sean, huh? I've been Sean, yeah. Hey, do you mind if I take a, a, a moment just to be serious for several moments? I just found out today that the week that we're recording this, uh, the week of September 6th, is National Suicide Prevention Week, and uh, this is kind of something that's uh, close to me, and I just want to say that if you have any friends or whatever that uh, are depressed or feel suicidal or whatever, all I, I can really say is be there for them, and uh, lend an ear, and the absolute... Worst thing you can say to somebody who's depressed or suicidal is to snap out of it or be happy or others have it worse than you. You know, stop that shit. It just makes it worse, and they already feel bad enough, and they don't need to hear that from you. Yeah, I mean, depression can be very selfish, but that's okay. I know there's a societal stigma about that, but, uh, I mean, if you're feeling down, it's okay to let it out. It's okay to cry. But if, you got, if you're a friend to somebody like that, reach out to them. Be there for them. Well, be there for their loved ones, too, because they're going through some rough stuff as well. I only recently found out, uh, for example, that an old friend of mine, uh, her, her dad died some years ago. I just mm-hmm. recently found out it was suicide. I had no idea. And she's still trying to just deal with it. She and her dad were really, really close. And I don't think she had any idea he was going through problems. But, uh, but yeah, just be there for people who are dealing with it too, not just the ones who are depressed, right. but those who are the loved ones of people with depression. A website you can send them to is suicidepreventionlifeline.org. This is for the United States. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have it for around the world. I should probably get a list of those and put it up on our, our uh, Facebook page. But suicidepreventionlifeline.org, they do have people ready to chat uh, with 24-7. Uh, they do have a phone number. It's 800-273-TALK. And that is also their Twitter name. It's it's the at sign 800-273-TALK. 
So their phone number and their Twitter are the same thing. That's kind of nice, actually. Easy to remember. Yeah. You know one, you know them both. And you can get a hold of them uh, any one of those three ways. So just wanted to throw that out there. We'll put that on Facebook and in our uh, show notes. And now back to the silliness. Well, we had a pretty big weekend uh, weekend before last, didn't we? Did we? We did. It was it was es muy grande, or is it mm. es muy harambe, uh, as it were. There was a big falderall at uh, the Underground Retrocade, and I'm surprised they didn't call it the big falderall. Uh, that would have been so cool. Well, thing is, it was still a couple weeks before fall, so it would, really wouldn't make much sense. But Well, almost falderall. Hmm, I so, can see uh, that. Yeah, a few weeks to fall to raw. So, Scott, for next year. Yeah, hey. <laughs> Snap to it. Chop, chop. Um, we, sh- we shouldn't really treat one of our patrons like that, should we? We should be kissing their boots. But um, I'm sure Scott's going to remind us of that next time we go to the Retrocade. Uh, Jim, um, my boots. Ooh, what did you step in? <laughs> Professor Pac-Man. No. Ah, wait, I, last episode I said we didn't have to talk about it ever again. I just That's right. blew it. But I suppose we could talk about it in a derogatory mean. Um, it's better than using uh, the word that I actually used in my previous uh, announcement. So, But there you go. Uh, and so what it was, they had the... It wasn't the world premiere, but uh, they had a screening of the movie Man vs. Snake. Watch out for snakes. And they had a, uh, a Q&A after the showing with... The stars of the movie, Tina McVeigh and Tim McVeigh. Uh, McVeigh spelled M-C-V-E-Y, a lot differently from the butthole uh, who uh, caused a lot of hurt and suffering down there in Oklahoma City. Walter Aldo Day was there. Aldro. Oh, Aldro? Yes. I missed the R. I'm, I'm probably thinking of Aldo Nova. Oh, you would. Yeah, even though I don't really know one of their songs off the top of my head. I know I know them. He co-wrote one of Clay Aiken's first songs, actually. I think it was This Is The Night. I don't know anything by Clay Aiken. And I purposely don't know anything by Clay Aiken. Uh, so Walter Aldro Day was there. There was uh, Joel West, I think Joel it was, West. From, from Chasing Ghosts, I believe it was, was there, which is a movie I have yet to see. And um, the one, the only video gamer of the century was there. Billy Mitchell. Well, he was the arcade gamer of last century, so that's the yesterday's true. news, man. That's true. And so, but Billy Mitchell was there, and so they had the discussion afterwards, and uh, it, it was funny because I had just come downstairs from the second floor of Underground Retrocade. I don't remember what I was doing up there. I think I was uh, scoping out some stuff. Maybe I was playing... Was I playing... I don't think I played... it. No, I did. I played Raiden upstairs. Then I was coming down. I did not realize this. Sean was texting me. But as I came down the stairs, there was Walter Day. And for those who don't know, Walter Day uh, is pretty much the guy who runs Twin Galaxies International Scoreboard. And he uh, he started the arcade and... Um, the Twin Galaxies Arcade, that The is. Twin, Galaxies, Twin Galaxies Arcade and all that. And so I'm sitting there starstruck, and I'm talking to Walter, and he was with the uh, with Tim and Tina McVeigh, and honestly, I hadn't seen the movie, so I didn't know who they were yet. So I yeah, just right. thought that yeah, they were I don't know. I don't know how long I might have been talking to them and not realizing who they were. So. <laughs> That's funny when that happens. I remember one time yeah. I went to a Christian music festival, and I was sitting in the audience waiting for a band to start, and a guy comes up, starts talking to uh, some people that were sitting next to me in the lawn seating area, and uh, he looks at me and says, hi, and I'm like, oh, hi, and uh, he was talking to these people next to me, and then he walks off, 
Later, I found out, I realized that that was the lead singer for one of the bands I went to see. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, hey, yeah. I remember once I was at uh, Beetle Fest, and outside of the the ballroom where they were having stuff, I walked past this dude, and I was like, oh, God, this dude needs a shower. Turns out it was Billy Preston. Did he go round in circles? He did. Anyway, I'm talking to Walter Day, and then I look out of the corner of my eye, and who is standing at the front of the arcade? I hope it was one of the Lamberts. Well, one of them were there, but who was st- who was standing there talking to one Sean Courtney, but Billy freaking Mitchell, and um, <laughs> you should tell you should you should say what happened when he walked in the door. Oh, what happened when he walked in the door? I kind of saw out of the corner of my eye, but I was busy playing Crazy Climber and uh, I didn't want to interrupt my game, so I, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I'll just you know see if I can chat with him later on. So he walks, he comes in. I don't remember with whom he was, but he was coming in just chatting. Then he walks over to me and he leans into me and he says in my right ear, he says, don't die. (laughs) And I said, Uh, "Uh, Bill, I can't promise you anything because I suck at this game. And sure (laughs) enough, I sucked at it. And don't die. That is that, that is something that you need to have embroidered into a tapestry that you can hang <laughs> over your hearth. <laughs> and you know what? I'm sure that if you made those and Billy Mitchell signed those, that they would sell a lot. Yep. Billy Mitchell, okay, first of all, Walter Day and Billy Mitchell are definitely friends, but they're like two polar opposites. Walter Day is this meek, humble guy, and uh, they tell his actually tell his story in the movie Man vs. Snake. First of all, yeah. I'm going to talk about the movie a little bit. If you want... What I consider at this point, and now I haven't seen Chasing Ghosts, but uh, I have seen King of Kong. Uh, if you want to see what I consider so far the definitive arcade video gaming movie, it is Man vs. Snake. It was really good. It was much, much better than King of Kong. While there was kind of a kind of a rivalry thing there going on, uh, the guy who was like, quote unquote, the bad guy in it still came off as a pretty decent person, just with a bit of a personality. And uh, Billy Mitchell, they didn't edit him to make him look like a jerk. They made him Billy Mitchell that you see in Man vs. Snake is what you see in real life. I can see why some people might think he's a jerk, because everything about Billy Mitchell is big. He's a tall guy. He's got big hair, big, awesome hair, I might add. He talks big. He's just got a big personality. That's what is endearing about him. He is one of the few people I have ever really truly met that deserves to have the title Larger Than Life. He's a larger than life guy. I can see that. And he's yeah. awesome. Yeah, seriously. I mean, I think the reason that there are people out there who say Billy Mitchell's a, a jerk or whatever, it's simply because all they know of him is from King of Kong. Wasn't he in Chasing Ghosts too? He was in Chasing Ghosts, yeah. And yeah, I don't know of anything about what he, how he was in that. I saw it a couple of times, and he there wasn't really anything earth-shattering about him in that. I mean, he just came across as just some guy commenting, that's all, <laughs> at least from what I could tell. The one thing in Man vs. Snake that I thought was really awesome, at one point, uh, Tim McVeigh was playing on his own personal nibbler machine, the movie is about Tim McVeigh trying to get the world record in Nibbler by the well, who reclaiming his world record in Nibbler, I should say. This we should say that. And there's this one scene in the movie where he's playing away, playing away, playing away. Billy Mitchell calls him and wishes him good luck. How freaking awesome is that? Yeah. I mean that 
that's Billy Mitchell. He talk he he talks big. He's got a big personality. When it comes down to it, he likes to see others succeed, and that's what I get from him. Yeah, and he, and seriously, he's a really nice guy. He really is one of the nicest people I've ever met. But he him him and Walter Day are two of the nicest people I've ever met. But they're they're friends. But as I said, they're polar total polar yep. opposites. And uh, they've got it was funny. They've got uh, they've got some really good embarrassing stories about each other. If you ever can get to uh, a Q&A or a, a panel with both Billy Mitchell and Walter Day, get there. It's, it's, it's entertaining. It's, they've got so many freaking awesome stories. It's just... Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I think we were there for the, the Q&A. It lasted like two hours. It was a long q like they, It was a real freaking long Q&A. It was interesting because they got up, took their seats up front where the screen was, and... No one really said anything, and then all, like one of them said, I think it was Billy who said, um, anybody have any questions? And then the floodgates opened. Yep. And one of the most awesome things is even outside the Q&A, Billy Mitchell and, um, and Walter Day, and really Tim and Tina McVeigh and, uh, and Joel West, too, for that matter, will all take the time out to talk to you. Yeah, absolutely. They just absolutely love talking to people, all of them. And that was really freaking awesome. And um, I can't recommend the movie Man vs. Snake high enough. It's really, really good. Uh, if you could get a copy of it, please do. It's um, it's just an awesome it's an awesome watch. Um, it talks about how Tim McVeigh got was the first to get the billion points, and how uh, Rockola was it Rockola? Yeah, Rockola, yep. who created Nibbler, gave him his own personal Nibbler machine. And there's an awesome, hilarious story about that. Um, and then, uh, and then, how there was a guy in Italy who soon afterwards got the uh, the billion points, and then there was a guy from I think it was Canada, the Canadian guy. That's uh, Dwayne Richard, who was the Dwayne Richard, who was the well. If there is an antagonist in this movie, it's Dwayne Richard. But he's still a nice guy. Oh yeah, yeah. If it, like I first got worried though because when he when they first I don't know anything about Dwayne Richard personally. But when they first introduced him on screen, they kind of made him out to be, you know, the bad guy. So it's like, oh, cripes, is this going to be like King of Kong where Tim McVeigh is right. the good guy? But then not too much later on, you hear Tim talking about him and basically it sounds like they're friends. In fact, there's one point where they're in a competition, which uh, uh, Dwayne had uh-huh. to he had to leave the competition for reasons I'm not going to get into right now. But he had to leave the competition. See the movie. And then the Tim movie. said, "You know what? I I wish you were here. You know, I, I miss his companionship. He's uh, yeah. He's helping. He's helping me stay awake. But and they uh, they go into something with all th- all three of them. They they kind of make the eventually they kind of make the, the the Italian guy whose name has escaped me for a moment out to be a bad guy too. Enrico Zanetti. Enrico. Thank Zanetti. you, Enrico Zanetti. But as they tell the story, as the story unfolds, all three of them feed off of each other." They yeah. all maybe feed isn't the uh, isn't the word. Um, yeah, there's no cannibalism in the movie, really. It like inspire, inspire, uh, inspire each other in a way. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just really a really awesome. I mean, it's got your the movie's got your drama. I mean, it's got your uh, tension. And while there's conflict, there's nobody really made out to be a bad guy in the no. end. Unlike King of Kong, which at the end of the day. They made that movie make Billy Mitchell out to be this big jerk, which he is the furthest thing from a jerk. Definitely get this movie. And I think the, one of the best things about the movie Man vs. Snake is when they tell some of these stories, uh, instead of just having a talking head talk about 
all these people around the world got this score, this score. They have all these awesome little animations. And, oh, uh, yeah. Did I hear somewhere that Don Bluth did the animations? That's Don Bluth. Yeah, that's in the credits. It is. And yes. the, the Dragon's Lair guy did the animations for this movie. They're not like Dragon's Lair quality. No. But they're... Uh, they're very cartoony. Yeah. They're appropriate for the subject matter. The animations are funny, and <laughs> it's funny, during the, uh, during the Q&A, I, after seeing the end uh, animation of Walter Day holding up signs, uh, after seeing that at the Q&A, I uh, raised my hand like, so Walter Day, uh, have you gotten in contact with the people at Adult Swim about doing a Walter Day cartoon? <laughs> and he had no clue what I was talking about. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's good. Hey, so there's one, one thing I just I just had to say. I mean, those of you who don't know, which I'm guessing is uh, very few of you, actually, Walter Day is very into transcendental meditation. Uh, yes. And at the very, very end of the movie, I think after the credits roll, there's a shot of him at the beach in somewhere in Florida, he told me, uh, he's uh, sitting there meditating, and they digitally edited it so it looked like he was levitating. Oh, God, that was awesome. Uh, should we really be saying that? <laughs> he was sitting behind us, and I turned to him, I said, hey, Walter, uh, have you ever actually really learned how to levitate yet? And he laughed. He said, no. <laughs> Can't recommend this movie high enough. Yeah, it's uh, really, if we, really if good. We, if we uh, applied our gaming recommendations or ratings, I should say rather to this movie, uh, this movie gets a five continue. Yeah. Well, I, I'd like to give it a five continue, but I missed the first 15 minutes of it because like so you I was in a really conflict. I was downstairs cause I, I really wanted to play some games cause I hadn't been to the retrocade in like four months. Oh, you weren't using the tinkle pit. No, I wasn't in the tinkle pit at all. James White. And- and uh, oh, I, he's I gonna hate that. Oh god! Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we're not gonna get into that right now. No. <laughs> but, but yeah, I was downstairs. And I was like, man, I don't want to watch a movie. I can watch a movie anytime. I want to play some games. I haven't been here in four months. And and then you texted me and you said, this is a really good movie. So I was like, yes. all right, I'll go upstairs and watch. Now I'm glad I did. It was you missed like the first ten fifteen minutes. It was like it, it seriously it, it is freaking good. It's, it's a great movie. Uh, oh, screw it. I'll get it. five continues. And uh, I think what we will do is we'll uh, provide a link. I wish that somebody had recorded that Q&A session, though, because that, that was golden. I know. That, that, that was the, the, the only thing, thing is, like, it wasn't amplified. It wasn't microphoned or anything. No, it wasn't. And the it problem with that is Walter is a low talker. As I was saying, everything Walter does, Walter does, he's very laid back. He's very, yeah. um, very low-key, whereas... Billy Mitchell is big and boisterous, and their voices and their speaking and and the way that they speak shows their personalities. So you can imagine what it was like. But if you had a hard time hearing Walter, uh, you, Billy Mitchell was there to fill in the blanks. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, thank was you, Billy. <laughs> that was fun. That was a really fun, was. fun time. So do we have any other news or anything that we need to talk about? No, I ain't got no news. Uh-huh. No news, huh? So, should we just go right on into a Dunda and Arata? I suppose so. Did you hear what uh, game uh, they introduced on September 5th, which was yesterday, at uh, Galloping Ghost? No, I didn't. Mach 3, which is a D. Gottlieb Laserdisc game, which I've oh, seen wow. all over the place, way back in the Ferg. So, uh, that's a game we'll have to talk about at some point, since seeing as you oh, can yeah. actually play it now. And I think I have it. I'm yeah, there we actually. go. Oh, and uh, that's another thing they did at Underground Retrocade was every Wednesday during the summer, they unveiled a new game that they added to the collection. And 
<laughs> oh, I forgot about this. Yeah, the new game they uh, unveiled for the last week of summer. Well, not really last week of summer, but you know what we're talking about. The last week of their summer festival. Or yeah, their summer festival was, of course, Nibbler. And Nibbler's a game we should talk about sometime yeah. in the future, just so that we can use the... Watch out for snakes! ...sample yep. Yeah, because we often. never have reason to use that sample. No, we just throw it in. Watch out for snakes! And But, but after the a fairly recent uh, episode of uh, Ten Pence, uh, people might be tired of it. But then again, they might not be. Who knows? I don't, I don't know. know. You know, that week, everybody was using it except for Bill on the uh, Atari Bytes podcast. And he had a great opportunity to use it because I think he was talking about Jungle Hunt. Yeah. Like, there are oh, no snakes in Jungle Hunt. There was something where he was talking about snakes. And it's like, oh, man, lost opportunity. Who else was using it? I think Ferg used it, didn't he? He may have in response to something you wrote. I don't Wait, know. what was that? What? This is Pie Factory Addenda in Arata, not the Atari 2600 game by game. Yeah, not the every podcast, but ours Addenda in Arata. Yeah. Get your own Addenda in Arata, you fairy. If I might quote uh, Monty Python, and I did. Oh, might you, huh? Yes, I might. So, some uh, messages uh, about our, the most recent podcast on the Atari Age forums at atariage.com slash forums. Once again, look in the Gaming Publications and Websites subforum, and there is a Pi Factory thread there that you can respond to. Uh, from S1500, Gorf, Space Zap, and Wizard of War always had the creepiest sound effects to me. It's just the right blend of tones and such to be hypnotic and disturbing. The voice only enhances it, not the explosions or anything, but the multi-channel sweeping tones. Sweeping tones, that sounds like a good band name. And uh, if I ever create a band, I already decided what my first album title is going to be, and it's going to be called Prehistoric Haberdashery. Prehistoric Haberdashery. Hmm. Yes. And if you're a fan of the Fake Science page on Facebook, and I suggest you all become a fan of that page, you'll know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Soul Blazer responds, Great episode as always, guys. I don't know what podcast he's listening to. But he says, For the record, I don't mind if someone wants to call the SNES by the Achoo sound effect. I just won't use it, use in all caps. So he might lightly nudge it, but he won't use it. Uh, hmm. I never called the system that, nor did any of my friends. But if somebody wants to refer to it that way, it's cool. I even poked fun at this in a bumper that I did for Phil for the 7800 podcast a while back. As for saying Galaga, sorry, I'm an old man and I can't unlearn how to say something I've been saying one way since the game first came out. Yeah, I guess I could say that too. All right, dude, seriously. I, I it, it just bugs me to no end when people who are younger than me say they're old. Come yeah. on, really? I'm forty frickin' seven. I'm turning forty-eight this coming Sunday. My birthday's September eleventh. If you want to, you know, send some gifts, but uh, just throwing that out there. But yes, my birthday is this Saturday, this coming Sunday, and I am going to be forty-eight. See, I don't. Even, I'm getting so old. I don't even remember what day my birthday is. So you know, stop calling yourself old. Uh, blah, blah, blah. I talk about this with another famous space shooter, starting with G in the newest episode of the SNES podcast, and I heard that one. It's Gradius, not Gradius. There's only two people in the entire world, maybe three, that I know that pronounce it Gradius. It's Soul Blazer and the two guys that host the completely unnecessary podcast. Gradius. Gradius? Gradius. 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 Which I've actually really been getting into lately. That's a really good general gaming news podcast, if you've never heard it. It's like two, three hours long. Link in the show notes. Uh, link in show notes. But uh, you might want to try to listen to that one. It's pretty good. They, uh, I first heard about them when uh, all the Coleco Chameleon stuff was breaking late oh, last year, early this year. And they covered that to no freaking end. 
And they had some of the most How awesome things to say about it. How long is that, is that thread still it. going on on Atari Age? I stopped following it a It is ago. still going on. <laughs> it is still going on. There are new posts in it every freaking day. And there's just like some new new thing or new wrinkle that's coming up every single oh, time. Oh, jeez. It's just weird. But oh, any mercy. rate, um, okay, uh, Soul Blazer continues. In regards to Gorf for the Jaguar. In regards to Gorf? Regards to Gorf for the regards Jaguar. Regards to Garf. Regards to Gorf. Words are hard. The reason I said you... This is Soul Blazer talking. The reason I said you guys should mention it is because I don't know the whole story myself. So he told us to talk about the story behind the uh, the whole... Oh, right, right, right. ...controversy with Gorf for the Jaguar CD, and he doesn't know the story. <laughs> we yeah, don't know he, the he, story. You're some, if, if you got something, if you're going to tease us like that... Tell us the story. Come on. Well, the thing we is, his point was ESPN. he was hoping we would know it so he could be filled in on it. Yes. That was very tricky of him, I have to say. Um, yeah, I was hoping you'd fill me in. I've dug around the topics in there, but can't find much about it. Most people who hang out there prefer to let the bad old days stay gone and are understandably not eager to talk about it. From what little I pieced together, the port was done by someone who had a reputation in the community. I believe he even got banned. And of course was totally unauthorized. It's a very good port by all accounts. I have seen it, actually. Arcade perfect, but I think there was some brouhaha about the selling of the game also. It had a very limited print run. There are copies floating around also, and the game commands a high price when it goes up on eBay. Perhaps Shinto or Austin or another longtime JAG user would know more. You know who would know is, uh, I think Dan Iacovelli would know. Uh, oh, the guy who true. runs the, yeah. the, uh, the uh, video game summit here in the Chicago area. And, um, yeah, he's a Jag fan. Yes, so he might know some more about the uh, the story. So, Dad, if you're listening, uh, you might want to, if you could fill us in on that, that would be, yeah, that would be great. As for the voice in Gorf, add me to the list of people who can't understand most of what it's saying. Whereas I can make out the voice in games like Berserk and Frenzy, he spelled Berserk wrong, missing the first R. It's Berserk, not Berserk. Gosh, now I know why he pronounces Galaga wrong. Anyway, no, you know, uh, you know what it is. People take that first R out of Berserk and they put it in Sherbet and make it Sherbert. Ah, uh, Berserk Sherbert. There we go. Ooh, that sounds like a good flavor. Hmm. Oh, what flavor would that be? I, I'm, I'm thinking some sort of pineapple, pineapple-y thing. Hmm. Anyway, he can understand the voice in games like Berserk and Frenzy of Vanguard just fine. I also can't understand the voice which the Odyssey 2 games use. That was a uh, voice module for the Odyssey 2. But I can understand the IntelliVoice games just fine, so I don't know. IntelliVoice was a good synthesis module. He says, I hope that you do cover Star Trek Strategic Operations Simulator at some point. And don't worry, we will, because uh, I actually want to talk about that one. Uh, he's partly because I'm such a big fan of the series. Long story short, I'm not a Star Trek fan, but I do like that game very much. It's a fun game. Yeah, uh, it really is. Ferg uh, actually responds to the thread. True story. I played in a band once with the Gorf Jaguar author. Uh, S1500 responds, so I'm nowhere near the only guy who doesn't check the Jaguar forms on here due to the excessive drama over the Jaguar of all consoles. As I said, it's a dark and scary place. <laughs> Let me see here. David MT, Gorf is in my top ten. Glad to see it covered. Lived by an arcade in Pelham, New Hampshire called Pinball Wizard, and I go there to get my Gorf fix, among others. Last weekend, I was horrified to see the machine out of order because the stick had apparently snapped right off the base. I hope they can fix it. I'm sure they will. But there was one. I love this comment from Cinecaster. Uh, Gorf's cool, I guess, but I don't but I don't find I enjoy it as much as I should. I mean, on paper, I should love this game. The multi-screen aspect makes it kind of like the slide-and-shoot equivalent of Donkey Kong, which is an apt comparison, I would say. I can, I can see that. 
<laughs> the speech is reasonably intelligible, but I must point out that for years I thought the voice was calling me Space <laughs> Nugget. I'd die, get mad at the game, and say out loud, Shut up! What the bleep is a Space Nugget anyway? Uh, actually, it's the, he says, F ampersand dollar sign K. So it's is a space nugget anyway. The one day I saw the words space cadet in print in the attract mode, or maybe it was on the CPO, I forget, and had one of those aha moments. Kind of like when you realize you've been singing the lyrics of a song incorrectly your whole life, and the real lyrics make so much more sense than what you thought the song was saying, like take on me, take me on, that sort of thing. I, I added the last bit, and that is his aha moment. I ah, see what you did there. Yes, yes. Uh, I had to beat the living daylights out of you to allow me to to, uh, to say that. So, for those who don't know, the band Aha did the theme song to the James Bond movie, The Living Daylights. All right, it's not really worth trying to make a joke if you have to explain it. Hasn't stopped us before. Uh, I want to think there was one other email or something that we had. Uh, uh well, let's see. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, thanks to Kyle Etter. Thank uh, you, Kyle. Of, yes. yes, he's one of our new patrons. Uh, so uh, he says, uh, thanks for the great work, guys. Look forward to your podcasts every month. He must be uh, mainlining uh, four hours or however long. Either that or he's skipping episodes. But he did say he did say thanks for the great work, guys. So maybe he's confused about which podcast he's listening to. Yeah, he must have been talking that, about that. That's got to be it. Uh, I think that's it. Actually, we got some helpful information from uh, Vert Vic Viper. Uh, Victor Marland. Oh, yes, we did. A tweet, actually. Yes. One of us had wondered aloud whether Gorf was one of the first games with a boss character. I totally forgot about this, and we've already covered this game early on. Yeah, we talked about it. It was actually Phoenix from 1980. Yeah, we don't know if the, uh, he, he, he didn't, didn't really say, say it was the first. But yeah, he, he didn't say it was the first. He said it predates fight. it. Yeah, right. It predates it. So they were they were around since eighty. So Phoenix is definitely in the running for the uh, very first boss fight, if you will. And thanks, Vert Vic, for uh, telling us something that we already know, knew but forgot to talk about because we forget things. That's why we have an addenda and errata segment. Who sent us that that tweet again? That was uh, Vert Vic Viper. Oh, it was. Okay. Yes. Wait, what game did he say it was? Phoenix. Phoenix. Okay. So, and wait, what was the segment we just recorded? I forgot. This must be must be addenda and errata then. So, yeah. Hey, uh, seriously, thanks, Vic yeah. Viper. He, he, he. Uh, for, the, for the information. Back yeah, at you. And, and, uh, and let's watch see, out for some... snakes. But you know what, though? Is he? No, he's not in Ireland. He's in the UK. He's, uh, well, he's in, is he, Ireland part of the UK? Northern Ireland is, but I think the rest of it isn't. Oh, that's true, yeah. And in Ireland, they don't have snakes, so they can't watch out for them. Actually, I don't think that's true, but they might have them at the zoo. Yeah, I think they have snakes in Father Christmas's amusement park. <laughs> uh, everybody from the Chicago area will know what we're talking about about that one. So um, anyway, some other um, addenda and errata here. Totally forgot to mention Gorf has stereo sound. Ooh, stereo. Which is weird because I was playing the hell out of it in MAME to prep for the episode. Space and I was nugget. watching videos on YouTube and none of them had... St- it was it was mono for some reason. And here I am an underground retrocade playing Gorf and it's like, wait a minute, that's stereo sound. Why do I not remember that? Because I played Gorf all the time in underground retrocade before. Why did... You know, I think the thing with that is though, is that sometimes the sound is just too awesome 
that you're, you're too into the game. You don't even really think about it. You only know if the sound sucks or if the sound is awesome for the most part when you're playing. Oh, I notice things like that. I don't because so. I play. And also there's one thing we actually did record this in uh, the episode, but uh, we had Hyde cut it out because we just wanted to make sure. But um, there is a bug in Gorf. Hmm? There is a certain pixel on the screen. It's a little bit to the left of your starting place. If you cross over that pixel, you die instantly. I have video of it, and I will... Really? In fact, yeah, I've already posted it to the Facebook page, but uh, I'll post it to YouTube and link it in the show notes. So, like, on the very first screen, if you go over this pixel, you lose. Any screen, actually. Because I played a couple of games and it didn't happen, then all of a sudden... I was like, wait a minute, I died for no reason, and then I ca- I tried again and again, and it's like, oh my goodness, yeah, there's a killer pixel right there. And I started a new game, and I was able to do it intentionally every time. And there was one point where I, I, I just looked up, and I saw Jamie Tibbetts walk by. He's a diehard gamer out here, so I pulled him aside. Hey, hey, Jamie, let me show you this. He's He said, you know what? I don't know Gorf all that well, but I do remember hearing that Gorf does have some kind of bug like that. Huh. Int- I don't remember recording that. But either way... That is, how do you do that? How do you leave a, a deadly pixel in a game? I'm thinking it was a bug. Well, it would have to be a bug. I mean, it's, or, or it's the, like some side effect or something. I'll bet if the machine resets. I wonder if maybe it was something that they used during testing and they forgot to take it out. Or, But I couldn't imagine why you would need a killer pixel. The thing is, like, I looked online for that specific bug and couldn't find anything. Huh. But yeah, check out, those of you on Facebook, check out the video on our Facebook page, and uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. So, there we are. Where? Wherever you are. Hmm. There you are. Wait a minute. I have no idea. I got Mr. Rabbit to keep me warm. I have no idea what that means. So, are we closing the door on Addenda and Errata? We should get a new phrase, because closing the door is kind of overused. Um, We're going to close the window on Addenda uh, and Errata. Are we going to put Addenda and Errata and the blender and hit liquefy? We could do that. Let's do that. that. Let's hit liquefy. There we go. So, we got two games to talk about now. Oh, do we? Yes, we do. So, since I'm the host, even officially tonight, even though I act like the host every night, you know what? I think to heighten the tension... of the reveal of the theme. Let's talk about uh, Do Run Run first. What do you think? Do Run Run. Do Tell Do Run Run. Ah. Yeah, so basically, Do Run Run, it's a sequel to Mr. Do. It's actually the third sequel. Uh, There were two games before it, Mr. Do's Castle and Mr. Do's Wild Ride, both games which I want to talk about someday. There was actually one game actually after Do Run Run, even though this is the last official arcade uh, Mr. Do game. There was one for the Neo Geo MVS uh, arcade system called Mr. Do Neo, which at one point Mr. Do, I think we talked about this in the Mr. Do episode, can actually turn into a girl Mr. Do, so that would be a Mrs. Mr. Do. Or a Ms. Do, maybe? But anyway, uh, yeah, so this is the fourth Mr. Do game, or as I said, third sequel. In this game, it's different from all the other Mr. Do games, which you have a top-down view, and um, it's really quite easy the object is either to collect all of the dots, which I've calculated out. There's about 100, what was it, 153, 159 dots on the screen at one time. And uh, either that or kill all the monsters. Basically kind of the same 
similar thing with uh, Mr. Do, which that one you had to eat all the cherries or kill all the monsters. This one, collect all the dots. The only thing, there's a hell of a lot of dots in Do Run Run versus uh, the number of cherries that were in Mr. Do. That makes Do Run Run a bit harder of a game. On the control panel, you just got a four-way joystick and a button to activate your Powerball, which makes a return. The Powerball was not featured in Mr. Do's Castle or Mr. Do's Wild Ride. And uh, I have to interject that uh, in uh, researching this game, I was playing Mr. Do's Wild Ride, which I actually had seen and played in the arcade before. And um, you want to talk about frustrating games. That's a frustrating game. It's just way too hard. But at any rate, we'll talk about that more in depth sometime later. So, uh, yeah, so you got the Powerball. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can kill the monsters. Well, well, first of all, before we get to that, as Mr. Do walks around, he draws a line behind him, kind of like how the Tinkerball in Tinkle Pit, James White, um, (laughs) um, kind of drew a line between the Tinkerball and and your character. In this one, he just draws a line, and if you can circle a bunch of dots, they'll turn from a dot into a different edible. The first time you circle them, they turn into cherries, like the original Mr. Do. You circle them again, they turn into a cake, then a lemon, and finally a pineapple. Uh, We'll get to the scoring in a little bit. As it progresses from dot to pineapple, of course, they obviously go up and score. Now, also, when you circle a bunch of the dots, eventually, at some point, you will find a little icon that looks like the Alpha Monster. Oh, Monster! The Alpha Monsters have actually been in all four of the Mr. Do games. Uh, This one, however, is a little bit different. Whereas in the original Mr. Do, and I believe in Mr. Do's Castle, the icon at the top of the screen, it said extra, and the little Alpha Monster would keep moving to highlight a different letter. And if you ate the edible in the middle of the screen in Mr. Do, whatever letter it happened to be on, whether you had it or not, that Alpha Monster with the corresponding letter would come out. As this one... The icon you have to pick up to bring the alpha monster into the playfield actually changes letters. So you can pause and watch it scroll through and then eat it when it's a letter that you need. You have more control over it, and uh, it, it seems to scroll uh, a lot faster than the alpha monster scrolled through the extra counter, or whatever you call it, in the original Mr. Do. So uh, you have that going for you. As for the Powerball, in the original Mr. Do, if you shot it out, you had to wait like a second. And if you shot it again, you had to wait more seconds. And the wait between using the Powerball grew longer and longer. In this game, after you use the Powerball, you have to eat 16 dots before you can use it again. One interesting aspect about the play field in Mr. Do's Wild Ride is everything is basically set out in a grid pattern. However, it's also got a kind of a three-dimensional element to the game and that the playfield is divided into levels. There's a lower level, a middle level, a higher level. Mr. Do can climb up and down the cliffs that separate the levels. Yeah, climbing up a cliff slows him down. Climbing down a cliff, actually, Mr. Do gets faster. Uh, when the monsters in the game climb up or down, it always slows them down. So there's a little hint for you. If you're getting tailed by a monster, go down a cliff. It won't slow you down, but it will slow them down. The other aspect of that, well, actually, before I get into that, uh, explain a little bit about the enemies. Oh, do tell. One of them kind of looks like a, a fat little octopus with short legs. Uh, another one looks like a sentient piece of watermelon with a red mouth. 
I think my wife calls me that sometimes when she gets <laughs> mad at me. <laughs> Another one looks like a blue ball with a mouth. Uh, <laughs> insert generic Tinkle Pit reference here. One of them looks like a snake, and one of them looks like a dragon. The ones that look like the snake and the dragon will turn into a fast-moving kind of fireball-like creature. And, of course, we already mentioned the alpha monsters. Uh, if you take too long to complete the level, the monsters will transform into a, into faster creatures, but then if you play longer, I think they transform back into their original state. There is no time limit for the screens, but uh, do it fast or they're going to, uh, you know, going to mess you up. So, in addition to the Powerball, you, there is one other way you can kill the enemies. Uh, in the original Mr. Do, you could tunnel up under an apple and the apple would drop on them. And this one... Because of the 3D, there are logs that are held up by, like, a support. And you can either push them from the top or walk underneath them and remove the support from underneath them. And then it will roll down and kill all of the enemies that happen to be in its path. What happens at that point is, obviously, the more enemies you kill, the bigger bonus points you get. Which I think uh, we'll talk about, as I said, we'll talk about the bonus well, the points in a moment. And the if you roll over enough of them an alpha monster will come out without his guardians. I forgot to mention that if you hit the icon, just like in Mr. Do, the alpha monster will come out with some guardians to protect it. However, if you roll over a bunch of them, he'll just come out without his guardians. So there you go. There are two ways to kill the enemies. And to be perfectly honest, there's no way you're going to complete the, the, the a level by eating all 153, 159, whatever it was. Wait, 53, 33, 30. No, I think it was 139. Oh, there's a lot. Yeah. Oh, here, it's right in my notes, right in front of my face. 135, approximately. There's no way you're going to eat all of the dots. So you're going to pretty much try to get out of the level by killing all of the enemies. One thing about the logs, if you walk underneath and you you remove the support, you can accidentally kill yourself, just like you can accidentally kill yourself with the apples in Mr. Do. so be careful with that. Now, as I was saying, you have the Powerball as, as one of your weapons, and it takes 16 dots to eat to regenerate it. And I was also talking about how the screen is basically laid out into multiple levels. I believe on average three. Well, one thing I forgot to mention. I believe I mentioned the snake and the dragon will turn into a fireball after a while, and they will zip from one side of the screen to the other. Now, as far as the, uh, the way the screen is laid out goes, in regards to the snake and dragon, when they turn into a fireball... And the Powerball that you throw, if they hit the edge of a cliff, they will bounce. It's, it's interesting. You have to see it. Now, if you, on the very top level, in elevation on the screen, and you shoot your Fireball, it will bounce from the edge of the screen to the other edge without hindrance. If you're on the next level down or the level underneath, it will bounce off the side of the screen or the side of the cliff. And the Fireball that the dragons and snakes turn into react the same way there is an interesting thing with the powerball though uh, it will bounce back and forth and the longer you let it bounce between the side of the cliff and the side of the screen the bigger a score you will get once it finally hits a monster and i don't believe if you walk into the into the powerball as it's bouncing you get it back i think it keeps bouncing i did not well, you, think you do to get check it back oh you do get it back okay yes so you can pick it back up okay i did not know that you do know you can have multiple powerballs right I didn't know that. Yeah, because if your ball keeps bouncing while your original one regenerates, then you got two balls. Good night, everybody. Hmm, interesting. The alpha monsters, as I said, are in the game. Spell extra free life. 
But also, the diamond from the original Mr. Do is back in the game. And if you collect that, you can get a free uh, a free credit. I do not know how to trigger that. I still haven't seen it in Do Run Run. I know it's there, but I haven't seen it. Is it in Mr. Do's Castle? I don't know. I can't play Mr. Do's Castle because I, I, I guess at this point I really do know what you're supposed to do. This is really a confusing well, you series have plenty of time to, talk to about. learn about it. So yeah, so there you are. Some interesting trivia about the game. Uh, in Japan, the game is known as Super Pirot. P-I-E, Pirot. Super Pirot. I don't know. Uh, P-I-E-R-R-O-T. It was only released as a conversion kit. Uh, although, oh, yeah. I, uh, in doing research, I found a link to somebody who claimed that they actually had a dedicated cabinet from the company SNK, which I believe bought all of the Mr. Do intellectual properties, if you will, and uh, we will have a link to that in the show notes. And um, I guess let's get to scoring, shall we? Oh, let's. Let's. If you eat a dot, it's 10 points. A cherry is 20. A cake is 40 points. This cake is not a lie, let me tell you right now. Uh, Eating a lemon, 80 points. And eating a pineapple is 160 points. They do not have the decency to peel the pineapple or cut the top off. How dare you? Killing a monster with the snowball... Wait, haven't you been calling that thing the Powerball? The Powerball. Yeah, my notes, I don't know why I have Snowball here, but it's the Powerball. Tonight's Powerball number is... Anyway, the longer you let it bounce, the higher your score goes. It'll. Let's just say the progression is every 500 points up to 3,000. So the longer you get it, let it bounce, the more likely you can actually have a monster. One monster kill be worth 3,000 points. So that's awesome. Killing a monster with a log is 1,000 points, 1,500 points for the second, and it goes up by 500 for each monster, 2,000, 2,500, whatever. Killing five monsters at once, however, is worth 10,000 big ones. So there you go. And apparently, back in the third, there were only two official ports of this game, and that was on the Atari ST and the Commodore Amiga. So there's your ports section. I might as well get that out of the way since there were no real Neither of these games really had had as pull, big pull as an Amiga fan as I was. I never even heard of Do Run Run until we did our Mister Do episode. I never heard of Do Run Run until a couple of years ago when I was just scrolling through memes, just looking for something different to play. I never played before, and I had never heard of this one. I had heard of Mister Do's Castle because that got a wide release on home platforms. Yeah, and I had heard of Mister Do's Wild Ride because I actually played it in the local arcade once. Never heard of this one. And that was probably because this was only released as a uh, as a conversion kit, and not many were released because of that. Yeah, it was a side effect of uh, the uh, North American video game crash. Indeed. Uh, apparently, Universal decided not to make dedicated cabinets just because of that. It was just cheaper to do the conversion kits and be done with it. And for some reason, they didn't. not many people took advantage of the conversion kits. So that's the rundown of the game. So what have ye to say about the game? Um, nothing, because you pretty much said everything. Pretty much, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Although, I mean, this is a seriously rare game. Thing is, we like to talk about where we first played these games, memories of playing these games. The problem is, Do Run Run, I have never, ever, ever, ever seen it anywhere. And Arcade.com kind of is a good explanation as to why. There's hardly any of them. Arcade.com only lists two locations, um, the Pinball Wizard Arcade in Pelham, New Hampshire, and a place in Seattle, Washington called Add a Ball. Add a Ball? Add a Ball. 
Oh, I gotta look these people up. Let's see. Oh, wow. Actually, this looks like a pretty cool place to go, this Attaball place. They only have, like, 29 games listed, but they have a pretty good selection. They got uh, Baby Pac-Man, uh, Do Run Run, Gyrus, uh-huh. Ice Cold Beer. Hmm. I've heard of that one. That's a, that's a mechanical game, I think it is. Huh. So, what more do I have to say? It was just not really much at all. Um, the only way I could play this was through MAME, and my high score in Do Run Run via MAME is uh, 77,120. Ooh, a lot better than me. Orcade.com doesn't have any scores listed. Twin Galaxies has a world record of 1,605,100 verified September 16th, 1984, which is only six months after the game was out. And uh, that score was achieved by Adam Mastromarino. What was the uh, the score again? 1,605,100. I don't understand how people are getting... How are people getting those high scores in these do games? I don't know. That's my question. I don't know. Especially Mr. the original Mr. Do, because the difficulty gets exponentially high. I don't understand how anybody can get uh, any sort of high scores in Mr. Do's Wild Ride. Have you played that? I have No, no. That's Holy the Mr. Do, Mr. Do game I never that played. Is a tough game. I've pretty much said my, my piece on Undo Run Run. So, I don't know. I think... I, I'd love to be able to say more, but it's such a hard-to-find game. And the I, thing is, I, re- I really do. Like, how do you feel about it? Do you like it? I, I honestly don't know what I feel about this one. Um, I really, really want to like this one a lot. First of all, I've never played this in the arcade either. I've never seen it in the arcade. I first played it in MAME a few years ago, which I know somebody, you know, some keyboard warrior is going to complain about that, but... Uh, but you know what? I th- th- this game came out in the arcades in our time frame. It was released in the arcades. We just didn't play it until later. So I mean, I think it falls into into it because we do have some experience with it. Maybe I have a little bit more because I did find it a few years ago. I don't know when you first. Pl- when did you say you first played it? Just recently or? Uh, yeah, when we were prepping for this episode. So in the yeah, last yeah, two somebody's weeks or so. Complain about that too. Good. Uh, but you know. I, I really, really want to like this game. It's got a lot of interesting play mechanics. Uh, I like how it is. It, it, let's, let's, let's call it what it is. It's uh, Whereas the original Mr. Do was uh, basically a twist on Dig Dug, this one is basically a, a twist on Pac-Man, uh, if you In look way, at it that yeah. way. And uh, I kind of like the, 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 the twists that they have to it, but there's just something about it that just I don't really... I can't really... It's one of those things that just can't put my finger on it. Uh, it, it might just be the fact that I haven't played it ever in an arcade, and maybe I need to get out and do that. But unfortunately, there is no arcades anywhere near us to which would make that possible. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, the graphics, I, I really like the graphics. The sound is good. Oh, yeah, um, and the way they handle the uh, 3D perspective is very good. It's Yeah, that's, that, is very, that is a very unique, uh, a unique perspective. Uh, Especially it, for Universal, because Universal, most of the games I play by Universal aren't really that impressive in terms of uh, perspective. Right. Uh, there's actually some interesting uh, perspective, uh, not issues, but perspective um, play, I guess you will, in uh, Do Run Run, because in that game, you're basically walking along a roller coaster track. But um, 
yeah, this one is it's it's very interesting and it handles it quite well. And I like how it's not just there for the uh, the 3D perspective isn't there just for aesthetics. It's an integral part of the gameplay, and it's uh, I kind I like how you can use it to escape from pursuing monsters and use you know slow them down, speed you up, but only if you're going down um, traveling down. And uh, so it's got some interesting gameplay elements. I, I'm really at a loss on how to rate this one, uh, to be perfectly honest. I, I, uh, I know what you mean. Uh, I'm almost wondering if it might be best to just really not rate this game. Uh, because really? of Because of because of our limited experience with it. I've, like I said, I've played it for the first time a few years ago in Maine, but it's not something that I've kept coming back to. I do, I do play it every, t- every now and then. Oh, FFS, we rated Tinkle Pit. That is true. That is Which, true. Which, by the way, when I played Do Run Run, the very first thing I thought of was Tinkle Pit. Yeah, and I think you've had more experience with Do Run Run than you've had with Tinkle Pit. Yeah, that's true. So I think probably should rate it. Given lack of experience at this game, uh, I, you know what? I'm going to rate it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give it a three. I, I don't know. You know, I will come back to this every now and then because it's far from being a bad game. But I just don't have the uh, experience in the arcade with this one as I do most other games. So I, I think I could only really rate it a three at this point. I can only rate it a three, but simply because, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is a good game. I really feel it's a good game. I'd recommend people give it a shot. Try it out. And, uh, you know, uh, that is, if you have your own Do Run Run arcade game, please download the ROM and try it. <clears throat> Excuse me, something in my throat there. But the thing is, while I was playing Do Run Run, I kept thinking, you know, I really miss Mr. Do, the original. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, this this game is really a pale shadow to Mr. Do. I think Mr. Do... There's one thing I have to say about Do Run Run over Mr. Do. That is? Mr. Do, you take just one look at it and immediately, immediately you'll think, oh, please, this is Dig Dug. I didn't have that feeling with Do Run Run that that, that it was obviously some other no. game. I mean, no, yeah, I didn't it has either. a little bit of a Pac Man vibe because it you got to clear all the of dots. Pac-Man. It has, yeah. uh, I, w- I would say, even elements of Dig Dug. It would has elements of Tinkle Pit. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, well, even Tinkle though- Pit would have elements of Do Run Run. Oh, that's true because that was a later game. Yeah, that's Tinkle Pit's from nine years later. Some some said that it had elements of the because of the way that Mr. Do draws a line has that's an element of the game kicks. Yeah. And uh, what was that thing about Dig Dug 2? Yeah, I was originally um, talking about this, and I was saying that it has some... I, I, I thought it, it has similar elements to Dig Dug 2 in the sense that in Dig Dug 2, you're kind of drawing lines, but not really. It's 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 a bit more of a more complicated play mechanic, and you're not missing much by missing Dig Dug 2, uh, I'll just say right now. So Dig Dug 2 is the Joust 2 of Dig Dug games. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I've, I've found that almost any Namco game, if it's called such and such game, you know, whatever the name of the game is, 2, like Dig Dug 2 or Mappy 2 or whatever, that those never generally get released in the U.S. It's always something that it's it's something like Super Pac-Man or uh, what's another one? Uh, uh, Super Sevius or or, uh, you know, stuff like that stuff that actually have a full name. Although I guess it kind of broke 
that with the with three because you got Galaga three, Galaxian three, and or Galaxian cubed or whatever. Never mind. Forget what I said. Anyway, yeah, this game's this game's a solid. This is solid three. As I said, I I, I I don't think I could really rate it more until I could actually get to play this in an arcade. Yeah, and you know what I would like to do though. I I never thought of I this, but this I, ga- s- I bet this game kicks ass if you're with the arcade environment though. I have a feeling it just might, and I want to try the see if there's a Japanese ROM out there too because apparently the uh, the screens are slightly differently arranged than the Japanese version. Oh, oh, hmm. yeah. So I, I want to give that a shot. Uh, I'm going to pull a U and say, I'm going to check that out later. I have to look into that. So threes all around for do run run. Yep. And you notice we didn't actually make a reference to the song. What song? I met her on a Monday and my heart stood still. And I, I actually love the version of that from the movie Stripes instead oh, of, of the course. original song or the Sean Cassidy uh, remake of it. So let's, uh, what do you say we move on? Ah, move on. Ah, move on. So, well, I guess we'll talk about Timber. Timber! Ah, Timber. Ah, Timber. A very simple simple uh, game and object uh, basically all you got to do is chop down all of the trees in the lumber yard or whatever it is in the forest i guess within the allotted time if you don't do it in the allotted time your boss gets angry at you and stomps and whatever causes him because you don't get a lot of time you don't get a lot of time see what i did there yes i see what you did uh the game is uh, is both single player or two player simultaneous player one is always red player two is dressed up in blue and there you go. Uh, controller, and player you two have, is black, too. Player two is black and blue. Yeah, your player one is Caucasian. Player two is Af- is apparently African-American. And you got to wonder, is this the first arcade game to have an African-American character? That's a good question. I've and is never it possibly even racist that. that they made him player two? Well, I don't think it's racist that they made him player <laughs> two for reasons that we will go into later. Oh, uh, I can't because wait. player one is actually there. There's um, there's actually uh, a precedent for player one being a white guy in a red shirt. And we'll get to ah. that in a little while. Your controls, your control panel. You have each player has a four way joystick to move your guy around the yard and a two way joystick to simulate the movement of your axe. Uh, you move it back and forth to, you know, to swing your axe, just kind of like in tapper. You move the tap up and down to serve a bear. Well, you don't really want to move it back and forth because if you do that, you're going to be swinging in two different directions. That's true. That's true. You, you keep doing it right to move to swing your bikes to the right, to the left, to go to the left. The object of the game, as I said, is to chop down all the trees in the yard before the time runs out. At the beginning of each round, there's only one or two trees to chop down. But as you progress, as, as time goes on, more trees will grow and you chop them down. First round, you start out with five trees and it goes to seven. Uh, level four, you have 11. Level five, 15. up to a maximum of 19 trees that you have to chop down in the yard at any given time. Time goes up. I think the maximum time you have to chop down trees in the yard is a minute and 30. And the shortest amount of time you have is 45 seconds, 45 seconds being, of course, the very first round. So you got that going for you. It takes uh, five chops for a tree to fall. When felled, it will grow. If you're playing, it'll, it'll grow red berries. If you're playing, if you're playing a two-player game, it will grow red berries if player one chopped it down. 
blueberries. Ooh, I like blueberries. If player two chopped it down. So there's that. At the end of a round in a two-player mode, the winner will slap the other logger in the face or drill him into the ground, which I've not. I've never played this two-player. I'm just going off of YouTube here. I tried a two-player uh, last night, actually. I, d- I didn't do anything with the other player. I just let him s- stand there. Uh, one thing that uh, we should talk about is after all the trees are chopped down, mm-hmm. usually what happens is the foreman shakes the lumberjack's hand. Yeah, I was going to say so hard that he actually shakes the hump sh- the, the humper dick. What? What? <laughs> Fly with me, lesbian seagull. The um, you you continue telling it. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't talk right now. If you clear a level, the foreman, your boss, will shake your hand so vigorously that your body literally goes up and down off the ground. I love the sound effect for that, by the way. In a two-player game, whoever clears the level, like gets the most trees chopped down gets the handshake from the boss. The other player, afterwards, the boss comes over, grabs the hand, it basically turns you upside down and shakes you vigorously the same way so that your head gets bashed <laughs> in the ground. Oh, that's and he awesome. says, he says, chop faster next time. Nice. <laughs> now there is, I do have to say, it sounds like a race against the clock, but there is one enemy that can kill you, and that is the grizzly bear that comes out starting in level two. And he throws beehives at you. Now, supposedly, you can actually chop the beehive for some points. Yes. I've never been able to do that. So I must just have sucky timing. Yeah, what you do is you just have to move, like, a couple of steps above where the bees are throwing and just time Uh it, you know. Uh Once you you do it a couple of times, it's pretty easy, actually. Now, one thing, though, is you while you can walk up to the grizzly bear, you can try to chop them with your axe but uh you cannot take care of the bear with your axe so yeah basically yeah you cannot interact with the bear at all nothing happens yes this game has been certified humane by the american society for the prevention of cruelty to animals so oh really grizzly bears were harmed in the making of this game lumberjacks on the other hand yes you can chop the other lumberjack for points and they lose a life i believe oh really i think so you can drop the other lumberjack? Yeah, you can. And if you play competitively, you can. Now, I was saying, you'd lose a life when you get hit by a beehive thrown by a bear. Uh, the bees will eat your clothes away, or if the time runs out before you cut all the trees down. And if you're playing two players and all of the uh, trees aren't chopped down, you both lose a life. So there's that. I've been saying so there's that a lot tonight. Okay. Now, this is timed, so there is the problem of the trees after they fall down first of all if a tree falls on top of you you don't lose and no a life one's around does it make a sound Ooh, very philosophical of you i shall ponder that and i will ponder it lightly all right i'm done so if a tree falls on you you don't lose your life but you lose seconds and you can trip over the trees and the wait can you trip over the trees yes yes you, yeah you can and you and if you trip over the trees or the tree stumps you lose time too and then on top of it, you get so many trees chopped down. As I was saying, late in the later rounds, there are 19 trees that you got to chop down. You got to walk all the way around them. So trying to get a path to the closest tree is uh, pretty dang important, especially when you got to chop down 19 trees in a minute and eight yeah. seconds, which is level oh, by 25. The way, sometimes tripping on a tree, like if you're moving the joystick forward or backward, a lot of times tripping over a tree will save you some time because it'll kind of like push you ahead and you'll get right back up. Uh-huh. 
So that's a little strategy you can use from time to time. The more you know. And, oh, I thought this was an interesting uh, little, and I did notice this. The longer you take, the madder the foreman will look, especially if you got like 10 seconds to spare. He'll grow like a little fuse, and his face will turn red, and eventually he'll explode if you don't churn all of the, uh, you, well, steam coming out of his ears at any rate, especially if you don't uh, complete the level. So that was kind of a nice touch. Now, there is a bonus round in this game. It's every other round. But uh, we'll hold off on talking about the bonus round for just a little bit, for reasons which will become apparent. Now, scoring. Completing the bonus round, you get 1,000 points. If you drop a tree on an opponent (laughs) in the two-player mode, (laughs) you get 1,000 points. Chopping a beehive nets you 50. Sometimes you will see a bird. 500. Why did I say 50? 500. Uh, Sometimes you will see a bird appear in a tree. If you chop the tree down and collect the bird before he runs off the screen, you'll get a nice thousand points. And then at the end of the round, you get however many seconds remaining times a thousand points. So, you know, you could work up some pretty decent points early on, not so much later on. You do get bonus points for the length of time that you survive the bonus round. Uh, Bonus round, I I will say the bonus round does last 45 seconds, but uh, that's all I'll say for now. So... There you are. Uh, that I think. Did I miss anything in covering this game? Did you mention the bonus for uh, when all the trees are facing the same direction? No, I didn't know there was that. What What's this about? Yeah, this is something I only learned about because I was watching an adjudication video on Twin Galaxies not too long ago. I didn't know about this until just recently, but starting with level four. Level four, but it would make sense it would be later. If all of the trees you chop down end up facing the same direction, you get a 5,000 point bonus. I did not know about that. I will have to try that. Yeah. And if I'm not yes, mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, if you chop your tree four times, can you push it over? Yes. I thought I had, yes. saw, I thought I had done that. That's especially helpful in a two-player game uh, if you're trying yeah, to Four get... times you can push it away from you. Five times it falls toward you. So keep that in mind. Uh, some uh, some little tidbits here. Uh, just like where Tapper was released in Japan by, I believe, I believe Tapper was released in Japan by Sega. Uh, yes, it was. Um, this game was also released in Japan by Sega. Yes, it was. Uh, there were no home ports of this game in the classic era. No, there wasn't. And uh, this is interesting. Now, you were saying earlier about uh, how Player Two is a black man and uh, he was wearing a blue outfit and that there's the, there's the white man who's player one, who's dressed in red, and you're saying, well, it's a bit racist that the black guy is player two. But there's actually a reason why player one is a white guy, because the main character in Timber is based on a Marvin Glass employee named Mike Ferris, who had a similar mustache and bald head and wore a red T-shirt. He's also the model for the main character in Tapper and the game Domino Man. Which uh, Galloping Ghost recently acquired, by the way. Yes, they did. They recently acquired a Domino Man. Yeah, and in case we haven't mentioned yet, Marvin Glass and Associates designed Timber for Midway. Okay, well, let me ask you this then. Why did Player One have to be the one who was uh, modeled after Mike Ferris? Why couldn't it have been Player Two? That is the question of the ages. Affirmative action, my friend. That is the question of the ages. I could not tell you why. I could not find any information as to whether Player Two was based on anybody. I would imagine probably not. Well, I don't know, though. The character design is very similar to to the Player One design, too, though. So, I don't know. Maybe they're just... Maybe they're both Mike trying to Trying to just do something different with it, I guess. I don't know. I, I can't answer that question. Only Mike Ferris. 
might be able to answer that or someone from Marvin Glass at any rate. Uh, check this out. This is interesting. We were talking about how Do Run Run was only available as a conversion kit. All cabinets, all dedicated cabinets for timber are originally tapper cabinets. I found this out on uh, the killer list of video games at arcade-museum.com. Now, apparently, according to them, if you peel away the lumberjack side art, you will find the original tapper side art underneath. Some of them were ripper tapper cabinets, and other were the original Budweiser ones, and you could tell the difference because the Budweiser one on the control panel area, if there's a black piece of wood on the side, that is an original Budweiser cabinet because the Budweiser one had the little places you could sit your drink on the side. And I think those just slid right into the, the, ends of the edges of the control panel, whereas Root Beer Tapper, I don't believe, had that. And so if you have two pieces of black wood on the side of the control panel, it was an original Tapper cabinet. And if it's just part of the side of the cabinet, then it was a Root Beer Tapper cabinet, which I thought that was interesting. They must have produced way too many Tapper cabinets and didn't know what to do with them because Tapper was an extremely popular game. And um, we've, as again, we've covered Tapper previously and... Uh, it's one of, I think, believe that was one of our favorite games. That was a good episode. We paired that with Food Fight. Yeah, I think we both rated it a I five. Think, I believe so, because that was a real a real fast action. Uh, that, that, it's a Twitch game, basically. Tapper's a Twitch game. And this one, I, I guess you could say, is to a degree. It has the same sort of graphics. I guess it's based around, it's, it's the same oh, hardware. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's a, it's, I, I like it. It was never ported to anything in the classic era, which... Not really surprised. I don't think this one did as well as uh, as Tapper did. But um, oh, do you think Doc would be mad if we went over to Galloping Ghost and like peeled away the side art just so we could see that, so we could verify that it is indeed a converted Tapper? Hey, Doc, what's that over on the other side of the arcade, away from the Tapper machine? <laughs> oh, Timber, 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 Timber. Of course, they're right next to each other in the arcade too, though. So, and yeah. as you were saying, that they're they're actually positioned at Galloping Ghost back to back. So you can see the side art from Timber and Tapper next to each other. And that's actually a, a, a rather cool setup, I must, might add, because they both have... It really they is. They really yeah. both have cool side art. Um, couldn't tell you about Domino Man. I've only played it once, and I couldn't tell you anything about it. But I have played Timber in the arcade a long, long time ago. Again, it was at the much-beloved Putt-Putt Golf and Games on Essington Road in Joliet, Illinois. And I remember playing it once or twice and never really thinking much about it and more recently i've played it at galloping ghost and i've had the same opinion where was the first place you ever played it i should i should ask first before i go any further <laughs> galloping ghost Galloping Ghost. how long ago i never heard of it until i saw it at galloping ghost and i noticed that it had that it had the same like similar side art to tapper so i played it i was like oh this is fun and i really liked it a lot you know and i have to say really early on i just I, I just could not get into the game because it just the play field just seemed too too constricted and I I, I understand now that that's that part of the uh, part of the gameplay and why it's uh, why it's a tough game. This is a fairly hard game. I wouldn't say it's as anywhere near as hard as Tapper, but I could be. I guess that depends on. But you know what? I can't really say that because you don't play this game like Tapper. They're 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 two different experiences, really. They have similar vibe. They have though. a similar vibe, but Tapper is more of a Twitch game, whereas this one not quite so much. I mean, yeah, there's an element of speed, and you do have to, you know, complete the level in a certain amount of time. But it doesn't have the quick, 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 you know, get the customers out the door kind of Twitch thing that uh, that Tapper did. I think one of the things that really kind of 
put me off on this game was the actual lack of things that can kill you. Other than the timer, the only thing that kills you is the is the beehive. And you can, you don't even get killed by walking into the bear, which I think is kind of is is something I think should have been added to the game actually. Well, you know what they did have in the game originally, but they took out. What is that? All right, Hyde's going to need to drop a beavis and butthead clip in here. There was originally a beaver programmed into the game that would like, basically run out and attack you, but they took it away. I did not know this. That is, uh, I learn something new every day. And learning is half the battle. Yo, Joe. So that's basically everything you need to know about Timber, but we're afraid to ask. So, How about extra lives? What about extra lives? You get one when you hit 20,000 points, and then after that, every 60,000 points. Which is about... About right for, I believe, this uh, this type of uh, game from Bally Midway. Yeah, I think Tapper's the same way. I want to think you are correct on that. I think at this point, uh, are we ready to rate Timber? Have we said pretty much everything we need to say about it? Um, I think I said everything I need to say about it, except I do want to add, though, we had wondered before about Journey since, like, have you ever played the arcade Journey? Yes. Like, in the arcade? Yes. Okay, and it's been a long time for you, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. I've never played the arcade cabinet. I've only played it in MAME. And you were wondering whether the arcade version, the actual cabinet, had an eight-way joystick. I think it's safe to assume no, simply because Tapper and Timber, both of which were designed by Marvin Glass and Associates, as was Journey, Mm -hmm. four-way joysticks. That's probably true, too. And if you play it in MAME, if you play Journey in MAME, and we covered this in the Journey episode, that you just can't move your guy in a diagonal. You just can't do it no matter how hard you try. Yeah, that was something that kind of pissed me off the whole time with that game. Ruined what could have been a, a fairly a fairly enjoyable game, but as I said, we've covered that way back many, many episodes ago. And I have... Oh, yeah. I have the... If you really were interested, I could tell you which episode number that was, but that would mean I'd have to pull the spreadsheet up and, oh, look, there's the spreadsheet. So what episode was that? Well, that was episode 17. It was Revolution X and Journey and the theme of that episode. Should I say the theme? Nah, go back and listen to it. But Revolution X and Journey have a theme other than the fact that they're both about rock bands. Real rock bands, by the way. So I think, yeah, let's rate. Let's rate Timber. Um, All right. As I said, when I first played Timber, there was something about the game I just really couldn't get into low those years ago at putt-putt golfing games and again when i've played it more recently at galloping ghosts but then something funny happened in doing research for this particular episode of pie factory podcast Ding. and that is that i actually had fun playing this in mame i couldn't tell you why but uh i was playing it over and over and over again and i was i was having a whole heck of a lot of fun so uh, we get back to the arcade. Uh, I'm going to get back to... They don't have this one at uh, Retrocade, do they? No. Okay. So when I get back to Galloping Ghost, whenever that might be, I'm going to have to play this one uh, a lot more. I really had a lot of fun playing it uh, this time around. So originally, when we talked, to, we were originally discussing about talking about Timber, I was originally going to rate it a three because I just... I don't know. It's not a bad game, but it was just nothing that kind of tickled my fancy, if you will. And I like having my fancy tickled, by the way. But, uh, fancy what tickled? Well, my fancy ketchup, don't you know? Oh. You know what? After playing it MAME and having fun with it playing MAME recently, you know, I'm going to bump this up one. I'm going to give this one a four. Wow. Yeah. See? I could do stuff like that because I have the spreadsheet. And there's that. And there's that. So what say ye? Well, 
again, I first played this at Galloping Ghost, not ever knowing about it, never hearing about it before. And this, we're talking in the past year or two. And I'm thinking, man, this is a fun game. But then I was like, you know what? This is kind of a repetitious game. All you're doing is chopping down trees. But then only recently I learned, number one, you can chop the bees. It's like, oh. And then I learned about the tree bonus, having all the trees fall down in the same direction. I did not know about that. In fact, I recommend you go back and play it with that knowledge that you get that 5,000 point bonus. You said that starts on level level four? four? Yes. Because it'll add a lot more dynamic to the game. It'll give you some more incentive for a, a higher score. And really, once you learn the sweet spot where the bees can be chopped, it'll be second nature before you know it. It just all that dimension to it really, really made the game that much more fun for me. It's to the point now where I prefer timber over tapper. Hmm, I rated tapper five continues. So considering I prefer timber, I have to rate timber five continues. Now, I still prefer tapper, but I'm not going to avoid timber like I used to. I I love tapper. Don't get me wrong. So you would say Tapper would be like, say, a 5.1, whereas Timber would be like a 5.5, something like that? Except that our scale only goes up to 5, so I can't. Well, we did not. We never said that our scale doesn't have decimal points in it. We never said that. But, we did, but however, though, if it only goes up to 5, it can't go up to a 5.1, could it? Because then that would imply that the scale goes to 6, and it doesn't. Yeah, and then we could, we if we did it that way, then we could theoretically rate uh, Professor Pac-Man point zero 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 one continues. True. But then, how many significant digits do you go? How many decimal places? That's true. There could be a Google zeros with a one for Professor Pac-Man. Let's declare our rating systems to be integral. They're all integers from one through five. So and that is the Pi Factory's new math corner. It's so simple, so very simple, uh, that only a child can do it. So you rated a five. So there we are. Yes. And, and basically knowing that knowledge that, hey, you can chop the bees, the score that I have listed on Orcade.com, this was before I knew that you could chop the bees and that you get the uh, 5,000 point bonus, 56,300. This was September 13th, about a year ago. That's right. We didn't talk about high scores. After I learned about the B bonus and the, well, I don't know if it's a bonus, and then the the trees all falling down the same direction bonus, playing in MAME, my high score is 94,415. Ooh, you go, girl. Which is almost, almost as good as Joshua Lambe, who, according to Twin Galaxies, on June 8th, 2013, scored 9,767,520. There's a two-player track on Twin Galaxies. Jeffrey Lowe and Dan Cunningham, apparently uh, verified June 2nd, 2009, 406,575. Why is it that two players could only get not even half a million, but one player could get almost 10 million? Well... In two-player mode, you get less time on the clock, so maybe that has something to do with it. Oh, I did Uh, not know this. Now, as for Orcade.cam, there are two tracks listed. There's a marathon track. Joshua Lambe owns that one as well. May 31st, 2014, during the 16th Annual Classics Championship at Fun Spot, he got 4 million and 5 points. Tournament settings, according to Orcade, the world record goes to Martin Bedard, I believe that's going to be pronounced, performed June 4th, 2004, during Fun Spot 6. Did you hoist his Bedard? 
I sure did. Yeah. 999,995. He just barely missed a million on that. Dang. So. so I think with that, we should talk about the theme for today's episode. Oh, wait, we didn't talk about the timber bonus round. Now, why would that be? Well, that would be because the bonus round in timber is one of the classic games that they play in lumberjack camps where you have to stay on a rolling log. And the log in timber in the bonus round has lines on it, and they will move in one direction, and the object is to stay on the log. So as the log moves, say, toward the top of the screen, you would pull the joystick down, and then the log will reverse, and you move the joystick in the opposite direction, and you try to stay on the log for as long as possible. I think the bonus round is 45 seconds log. It's always 45 seconds long. But as the game goes on, the log gets smaller, and it starts moving a little faster. So you really got to keep up. And I believe it was 1,000 points you get for completing the bonus round. And you were saying that there is a timer, and you get bonus points for as long as you stay on the log, correct? Yeah. So you, I don't know off the top of my head how the calculation is done, but if you last the entire length, your base bonus score will be 3,145. That's not counting the 1,000-point completion bonus. Have you, Did you ever complete the bonus round? Yes, I have several times, actually. Really? I, yeah. I can't. I can't. I, I got within a second last night, and I was like, ah! Yeah, I, I find uh, well, there was a trick I was using, and I can't remember exactly what it was. So, so I think Strategy Wiki said something about like how you can actually go a little bit, either a little bit higher or a little bit lower than what you think, and it'll save you a little bit of time. I don't remember. Hmm. I'd have to look that up. I'll have to I, check I, into that. You do that, my friend. So, what is the theme <laughs> for today's episode? Why Timber and Do Run Run are both games that have rolling logs in them. Oh. They've got wood. Log from Blamo. And with that, I think we will close the chapter of another episode of Pie Factory Podcast. But not before Ah, revealing what games we're going to talk about next episode. Oh. And I believe you host next episode. Oh, that, that's that's very true. Uh, yes. Shall I uh, shall I let uh, our listeners know what the games are? Why don't Maybe? you do that? Okay, we will be talking about Bagman. Yay! We will be talking about Sinistar. Opie Star. Sinistar. Yay. And we should also uh, give a thanks to uh, our sponsors through Patreon.com. We already mentioned Kyle Edder, so I'm not going to mention him again. Uh, we also thank uh, Rory Coleman, Michael D'Angelo, Scott Lambert, Keith Sheehan, Nate Lockhart, and Richard Valdez, and Greg Polander. Yay, thank you, thank everybody. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate thank it. Thank you for your support. If it wasn't for you guys, this quality would never exist. Yeah, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, that's, that sounds like a plan. And in a few episodes, we are actually going to be doing another one of our special console episodes this time it's not an atari console it's actually going to be a sega console uh shawnee c and jimmy g that's me will be talking about our experiences with the sega genesis oh did somebody say contest by the way why yes you just mentioned that just now (laughs) so yes so if you have any memories or comments or whatever about the sega genesis uh your favorite games your favorite controller your favorite genesis console because they came out with a couple of different ones the sega genesis handhelds which have been produced by at games 
email us, piefactorypodcast at fab4it.com or what is the other one? Piefactory at fab4it.com and piefactorypodcast at fab4it.com. Ah, yes, that's what it was. So email us at either one of those addresses and let us know what you think about the console. Give us anything you want to talk about the Sega Genesis. And who you knows? You can send audio if you want to. Or, yeah, or audio. That's fine. Or if you want to order us a pizza, as long as you pay, we're up for that also. And um, we should talk to the guys at Genesis Gems and see if one of them wants to come on the show. I never thought about that. So, uh. so yes, get that information in and join us with that. In about six weeks or so, we'll uh, we'll be talking about the Genesis, two episodes away. So, get that stuff in for us. Okay. Oh yeah. So there you go, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you all again in a few weeks, and I guess we'll go from there. With that, we will say bye-bye. Hasta toodles. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is the Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arada was composed by Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. See what he did there, folks. See what he did. <clears throat> See what he did. <clears throat> oh, gosh. My impersonation voice is just like... Not that was an impersonation? It, it was supposed to be Casey Kasem. <clears throat> it's a impersonation I'm sh- voice. I'm sure that's what it's supposed to be. It's a impersonation voice. You sound more Rock like Joe nation. Thomas. Who's Joe Thomas? Remember, you don't remember him on WCKG? He'd do the seventh day. I never listened to WCKG. I only know Mitch Michaels. Yeah, he did the seventh day every Sunday night where he'd play uh, six hours of albums back to back. Oh, geez. As long as we're talk- talking obscure uh, ex- obscure radio references here. Well, not really too obscure, maybe for our audience, but the other night uh, at dinner, I found myself singing uh, Dead Puppies and Fish Heads uh, at the dinner table in front of my kids. Ogden Enzel and Barnes and Barnes. Uh-huh. Barnes and Barnes. One of Barnes and Barnes was Bill Mewmey. From Lost in Space? Yep. No kidding. I did not know that. I didn't know the actors in the show. I just knew the show and, warning, warning, danger, Will Robinson, danger. No, that's all anybody really knows. I don't think anybody ever actually watched it. Well, that and they know the uh, the creepy kind of pedophile Dr. Smith. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but, ooh, ooh, ooh I didn't forget him. Uh, I can't, I, I, I'm kind of limited in the voices. Like, well, not, I, I though, although I, I think I do do some voices, do do. The world is made by those who control their own destiny. It isn't made by those who don't do. It's made by those who do do. I do do. Yeah. Grow up, Lemon. I do some voices better than some people, so. All right, Hyde's going to need to drop a beavis and butthead clip in here. There was originally a beaver programmed into the game that would like basically run out and attack you, but they took it away. Say. Actually, he needs to put in an airplane clip. No, 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 that wasn't, no, no, that wasn't an airplane. That the was naked gun. Naked, that was naked gun. That's right. That was naked gun. Yes. Say, I hated when they showed that on TV, they changed the line from say nice beaver to say nice one. Like, what the hell does that mean? I don't know. It totally ruins the joke. Anyway, I got Mr. Rabbit for good luck. What's his first name? Rabbit. So his name's Rabbit Rabbit. Yeah, just like Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. Wasn't there something that debunked that thing? That's what they said in the Super Mario Brothers movie. 
Mario and Luigi actually said that their names were Mario Mario and Luigi Mario. I still thought there was something that said, yeah, we know what they said in the movie, but this is the truth. That's know. what they said in the what? What in that movie was truth? I wouldn't know. I never and, saw it. Oh God, Scott Lambert's probably listening to this right now and saying, "What do you mean you never saw it? Well, you know how many times we played this at the Retrocade? I've only seen the Rift Tracks version. You have to see the Rift Tracks version if you haven't. Did you purchase that? No. Oh, you've I'm got to way behind that. on Rift Tracks right oh, now. Oh gosh, the <laughs> well, that line's a real panty dropper. Actually, that was from. Uh, uh, that was actually from their version of uh, Mr. B Natural. Ah, indeed. But, uh, hmm. Hmm. Question is good. Uh, my bad Yoda impersonation. Um, that's a good question, though. I thought that was Jar Jar Binks. No, this I've, is Jar Jar. I've never Lisa. seen that Star Wars movie, though. I've only seen and the original. You are all the better for it. I hear that while the fan edits of it are really good, uh, they still suck. So yeah, I've only seen the original trilogy and um, uh, the Force Awakens. Heresy here. I wasn't a huge fan of the Force Awakens. It was it, it had too many callbacks to the original. I just I just couldn't get into it. I am looking forward to uh, Rogue One though, so we'll leave it at that. But so anyway.